Hi, Kelly. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Uh, it's time for another episode of Teaching Python. Been making some progress. So my name's Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Perez, and I'm a teacher that codes. Nice. Well, we're trying to sneak in a, a quick recording today because we've got some things we wanted to talk about and some stuff that we've been working on. So I think it's a good opportunity to just take a few minutes and talk about those things. Um, but before we get into that and all the stuff we've been playing with in the classroom around code reviews and um, debugging and testing and all those things, uh, let's start by with the win of the week. So, Kelly, do you have a win of the week to share? Well, <clears throat> it hasn't been a win yet, so I'm hoping that it is a win. I guess it's a win on my part, but uh, ear sketch last night, thanks to Russell. Um, I guess maybe it came from Michael Kennedy. I'm not sure. Someone tweeted back in Kennedy. So, or maybe to get him to talk about it. I'm not sure we'll have to research that, but you said, wow. I'm so excited for the um, students that really love music. I, I tried in five minutes of my efforts at during soccer practices with my kids to just get in there. And then Russell said something that one of the students did. And, oh, it seems so much fun. Your sketch. Yeah, so it's writing code and making music, right? With snippets. So all these really cool, I, I feel like, um, what's that one band that was fully animated um, in the 2000s? Like the gorillas? Yes. Kind of was feeling like that. I was sitting in my car and I was like, this is cool. What can be the next gorilla band? Or a DJ. I don't know. Nice. Um, well, for me, the, the win this week has been uh, doing some things with files for the students. So I always have this this kind of weird feeling because we grew up with files and folders and having everything local in your computer and our students just haven't. Everything's cloud-based or it's just kind of there, right? Whether it's a Google Doc or Google Drive file or whatever. They don't really think of those as files like you have on your file system. They think of those as just these ephemeral objects in the cloud somewhere. And so it's interesting to me, every time we talk about files, I always have to go back further than I think I should have to, right? Like, oh, files and folders, files and folders. And I'm like, okay, what is a file? What is a folder? Or what's a directory? And so I'm combining this with the command line a little bit. So teaching them some basic commands to get this concept of a, a file or a path or a working directory or relative path. Um, just enough that they can start to see like when they open a file in Python, how to open a file that's in the same folder or why the file needs to be in the same folder as the program that they're running. And it worked pretty well yesterday. I was very excited to see it. I had the students working on their word list. It was an all Mac environment. And on a Mac, there's a, a file in there under like slash user slash share slash, uh, I guess like dict uh, or dicks. There's a, a whole list of words, 235,887. And I know I did this last year. But it just seemed like it went really smoothly this time. I'm not entirely sure why, but just talking through first the importance of, of files, why we use them, why they'll help us grow beyond what we can type in ourselves, and then be able to write our code for things that maybe we haven't already seen or aren't intimately familiar with. So it was 
pretty cool. We went through and found the longest words out of the list of that list. There are five 24 character words. And we went through different algorithms and techniques for finding the first longest word, the last longest word, and then the list of all the longest words. And, and you could see that students were getting pretty excited about it because we'd start with, well, here's a list of the first 10 words. What's the longest from that? So we can see exactly whether our algorithm is working properly to find the longest word, and then we go out to the whole list. And so it's kind of neat because you can see that light bulb go off for at least some of them that says, I can go through 235,000 words, but Python, with Python, I can do that in a second or two. Like, that's a pretty cool thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, it's a great lesson. That's definitely was one that we wanted to keep and repeat. Um, I know we talked a little bit about it last couple of episodes, a lot of episodes ago. Goodness, I don't even know how many, but we also introduced a little bit of the seventh grade, just tested out to see where it fits. That's, That's the beauty of our, our curriculum is that we kind of move it around to see where it goes and we get to the, everyone wants to get in there. But it's but funny, it's sort of just feel, and I don't know if it was because of COVID and everyone's online and you do Google Drive and working on Chromebooks with sixth graders, but I'm starting to feel a little bit more of a, Crunch because I don't really understand how to, how to use folders to find things. So I find myself constantly saying, you know, go to the new code folder. Where's that? Well, it's in assignment. What is that? Well, it's here. And here's how you search for it. And these are folders. And students don't really understand that. Or there's a file format. I need to get that. Oh, well, what's this? How do you find a PNG on Google? So I'm, I'm starting to. I don't know if I've ever took much notice of it before, but I feel a lot more pains with my sister or little things like that. So teaching that file every day kind of helps to get that idea of what's going on in the computer. Well, you know, the other thing that is easy for us to forget, too, is that... Um, for our sixth graders, this is their first year with like a MacBook or a Windows PC or something like that. So prior to this point, they've had a school-provided Chromebook or a school-provided iPad, which are, it's not impossible to get to the file system on those devices, but it definitely takes a little bit more effort or you're not as dependent on it. So some of these students, you know, it's not their fault that they don't know about files and folders. It's not like they've been asleep at the wheel or anything like well, that. There are files and folders in Drive, so right. and I know they taught that. Right, right. But it doesn't transfer. So it's this illusion that they understand how to use their, you know, their full-fledged traditional computer because they know how to use a Chromebook and they know how to use um, a web browser and web-based apps. But there's just a whole new layer that they're just seeing for the first time by moving to a Windows or a Mac that that they may not have seen before. So it's easy for us to forget that because so many of the other things that they can do on their computers, they're very adept at. Yeah. So that part's not quite there yet. Goes back to that thing where we need more push in ed tech. Those days of ed tech is you just never have enough. Never right. have Computer science is not um, built. Our math course with nine weeks is not built for full on ed tech. But listen, don't don't neglect those ed tech skills with your math teachers, English teachers, social studies. Science needs to be something that is. All over every day inside the curriculum. Yeah, and and uh, sorry, I'm just hooking up my my light here because it's uh, not charged. Hey, look, it's lighting up. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, we digress. We digress. 
But um, but I think that is a good segue into, you know, we're about six weeks into the school year now. Um, we've got a lot of new things that we're trying this year and some new approaches that we're experimenting with. So we wanted to cover some of those experiments today. And I think we have kind of three major categories of experiments that we've been playing with, mostly around the teaching techniques and the classroom engagement, not necessarily around the tools and the technology. So mm-hmm. this is more of a like how to how to engage your learners um, sort of conversation. So the first one of, of the three, I think we're going to talk about code reviews. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about testing strategies and verifying your code and knowing that it works, right? So this whole concept of it runs, but now what, right? And then the third area that I wanted to talk about was um, the things that you've been doing around, um, I forget what it is, remind me, it was... Uh, he throws this out there. Totally all <laughs> Well, the main one was the code reviews. and turtles and classes. And yeah, I think it was kind of the, the way that you've been teaching um, some basic object ideas in Turtle, using Turtle, to get this concept of um, object usage, not necessarily object design, yes. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Totally, totally threw us off. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so for those of you who may not be familiar with code reviews in a professional setting, a code review in a software development team is about, you know, working with another developer, typically a senior developer, to review code and use this as a process to improve the quality of the code, ensure that it meets the requirements, review it for any sort of issues that may come up, whether that's style issues, logic issues, functionality issues to ensure that the code that is being produced is the highest quality. And if it's done right, it's a learning experience often for both the junior developer and the senior developer in terms of the way that that, that uh, code is written and the way it's implemented. Yeah, and in the teacher setting, this is something that's really not a new thing for a teacher. It's a basic, it's one of these basic lessons I think you learn in, in college, you know, and you want to where what can you do in order to build uh, pair programming, pair reviewing, pair doing activity. How can you? How can you teach communication skills? How can you have you know stronger students help the the not as strong students in a certain field? How can you help your grading and get better products? And one of the things I always do, especially with essays, is this peer review. Here's a group. Here's the things I need in an essay. Um, get with a partner, your partner's going to kind of read the essay, talk about it, tell you how to improve, look for grammar issues, and then you go back and do your second revision. So I um, not only enjoy all of the sixth grade first half projects like I normally do, because it was, I, I pretty much set them free. They were really good coders. But they weren't really good coders of following my rubric as in the past, because in the past I helped them a lot more. So these guys are kind of set free, and then what I got back was a lot of really good ones and a lot of really bad ones. And I didn't want to put a bad grade in there, especially when it was their first app and they were just eager to go. So I walked in in the morning and said, guess what, guys, we're going to do a code review. And, and we're going to get with three people. Everyone's going to have 11 minutes. Just 11 minutes, I don't know why, but it was a good number. 11 minutes. Um, we're going to only look at one person's goal the entire 11 minutes. If you don't you know, run out of things, find something else in the 11 minutes. And we're going to look at the things that we need to improve on, look at the basics that we have. And then we're going to switch, and then we're going to switch. 
and it turned into something beautiful. <laughs> so what were what were the results of yours? You know, like what was happening um, you know, with that code review? Well, so first of all, it turned into an empowerment. So a couple of kids, there, there was one student that was completely shy. She submitted, I think, five lines of code. And the code was supposed to have certain concepts in there. So we were looking for the use of conditional statements. I was looking for the use of lists and not just put a list in, but some sort of method with the list. I was looking for a string manipulation, basic methods, you know, that title um, starts with um, looking for equivalency, checking to see if uh, condition applied with an input. And I gave up this ballpark of 30 months. I care less if it was 30, 15, or 50, but I wanted them to have some sort of goal. And I wanted them to make sure that they understood um, doctrine or, um, you know, doctrine to the comments and when they're comments to use and when variables to use best. Very basic. Those are all the key points of the DT6 grade. So we kept working with rubric coming back to the whole process. I would say, well, are they doing anything to this? Oh, no. And it, and it would turn into this conversation that was quite, quite, quite beautiful, quite awesome, because you were like, I don't know what to do with my list. Well, here's what you can do, and let me get some ideas. So it was, that's kind of how it started. And by the second round, it was more in that conversation. And then what we did is we asked students if they wanted to do another review with an expert. And some of the students who felt very confident who already met at the rubric, I can be, I'm, I can help you code review, and turned into a really nice, I mean, such an easy class where I didn't have to ask any of the questions, so. Nice. Well, and I think there's a couple things that I saw as I was observing this was that really worked well. Um, first of all, students use different language than teachers use, right? So when they're giving that feedback or they're giving the information, they often have an easier time explaining it to a fellow student, uh, a peer at the same level, using words and language and structure that makes sense to that student, that learner. So I was noticing that all over the place, you know, like lots of, yeah, there's this list thingy or whatever, and they were, they were using imprecise language, but accessible language for the students, which was really important. The other thing, too, is that sometimes, and it depends a lot on the student, sometimes students feel less pressure when they're having their code reviewed by a teacher and by a peer. Sometimes they feel more pressure, but because there was no grade associated with this, it wasn't like, a, oh, you're doing this for a grade, it was, it was a low-pressure environment for them to learn and be receptive to feedback. So there wasn't that same sort of like, oh, my code's on the, on the wall in front of everyone, or the teacher's looking at my code and giving me a grade for it. It was more of like a peer-level assessment. And a lot of our kids are really good about giving kind and helpful feedback at the same time. Um, and then the last thing that I saw was that it's always fascinating to watch students explain concepts in their own words and and just the way that they were talking about you know things like what's a conditional statement so, well you have two choices and one of these can be true and the other one can't be so it's going to run that code okay well that's kind of cool the way that they're explaining it because it's not necessarily the word that i would choose right and that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And the, the added benefit that, and this is one of the reasons why this is done a lot in, um, with essay writing, is you always have those um, few students that excel in a certain subject. 
and everyone was able to see that code and see the the level that went a little bit higher. And kids were like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Can I do this with my code? And it brought out things like um, um, they were sorting through a list. One student had an memory on a list that I had showed them because they wanted to count down count, you know, count out a list. And it was just allowing them to extend the knowledge based on what they saw from their peers. So I'm totally doing it again, but um, not doing it because I have to read twice. I'm doing it every because I did read the book twice. I gave them the second read, which was great. Um, kids were very thankful for that. But this time I'm going to do the turtle up, and where they're doing a mashup of the turtle, and they're, they're going to code review prior to submission. Nice. And then they have another day after the revision to, to code a little bit more. So it does take a little bit of time, three class periods, but it's totally worth it. Well, and I think the, the comparison is very apt towards like a, a writing sample review. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really, the more that I get into teaching computer science, the more I realize that computer science is far more closely related. Its close cousin is writing mm -hmm. and language and expression. Um, uh, like a second cousin is math, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can absolutely do math in this, but it's the same way as I can write, uh, I can write about math, yeah. right? Um, I can use use writing to better explain my math, but the the real structure here and the real value is that structure of create the code, have the peer review, the code review that happens, and then have the revision and see the progress the student makes and document that along the way. So it's you know what did you start with, what did, what feedback did you get, and then how did you use that to improve your code? Get students a lot closer to what they actually want to have happen with their code. Yeah. And um, I saw a comment. It was something that Eric had posted to another, Eric Mathis. Eric Mathis. Sorry, yeah. Eric. you know, there's like you know friends of ours as they're listening to us in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, kitchen cleaning. Sorry, um, Eric Mathis had replied to someone about, "Do you give positive feedback?" In code reviews, and that was so funny. I was like, "This, I'm getting stalked in Twitter. These things are coming up at the same time." And that was another thing that came up. Uh, I heard positive. Sorry, I was thinking about this while you're talking. Positive feedback. You. That was always a critical thing that you do during writing pre peer reviews. I like how you did X. Perhaps you can improve it with Y. I didn't have to set that stage because kids were like. Wow, that's really cool. Oh, that's really creative. I like how you did that. Wasn't that a good idea? And it came out naturally because these, again, these are first-time coders, so everything's magical for them. But perhaps like next time, I might have to remind them: look for the positive in this one and do the positive feedbacks and code reviews. Nice, nice. Well, going from the the peer reviews to more of the individual approach, one of the things that I've been working on a lot with my classes, and I, I know you've been doing that this as well in parallel is going through more of that testing cycle for code and understanding how tests work. So this year we've been focusing a lot more on our code challenges with PyBytes. We've written some challenges, some daily challenges, and there's a lot of, of students who come back and say, well, my code runs, like why doesn't it pass the test? Or why doesn't it say that it's correct? Well, it's the same thing as saying, you can print hello world in there and it's valid code and it runs but it doesn't do what it's supposed to do and what's fascinating to me about this is that this is where you really see the attention to detail come out 
right? You have that first layer of attention to detail, which is the, are all my indentation in the right spaces? Am I using the same variable names? Am I, do I have name errors because I have typos? Like all of those things come up as part of the first level of attention to detail. But the second level of attention to detail is definitely more thoughtful. And it's that idea of examining what did I, what am I expecting to have happen? Like what's the expected output of this code or the expected functional performance of it? What is it actually doing? And then what's the gap in between? And when we, we put this in a couple of different contexts, the first context is when we're doing a code challenge or something where there's a prescribed output that they have to match. It's one output. How they get there is up to them, but it's the one output that they have to match. What's the, what are they intended to do? That's defined by someone else. What is it actually doing? They have to look at that and see the output and the comparison. Um, and that works really well for them to write, kind of write to a spec. The second one that's probably harder to define and far more interesting to me is the when they write their own code and there's the gap between what they have in their mind as their intent and what it's actually doing. Right, This idea of, I, I expect it to be doing this, but it's doing this completely different thing instead. Why is that happening? Right, um, and, and I think what's our, our common refrain these days? Like, it's not working. What's not working, right? Yeah, doctor, kid, guy walks into a doctor's office. It hurts. Great, thanks. Right, <laughs> That's my right. Like, we can't really help you with that. So I find it fascinating as we go through um, this process that a lot of what we're doing is trying to unpack what they're saying and trying to get them to think more clearly, more specifically about what's happening, what's not happening, and why there's a gap between the intent and the outcome. It's it's a really, I mean, I think this is like most of programming in a nutshell, right, is, is this process of closing that gap and getting it to work the way you want it to. Yeah, and that's been a huge learning curve for me. Both of the courses that I'm taking right now are going through tests. I actually <laughs> tweeted to or messaged Brian Onkin. I was like, oh, I'm finally getting into tests. Um, it, being able and actually, you know, reflecting on my learning having someone say, write, you know, write a conditional statement. And I do this to sixth grade, just write a conditional strength statement. And what do you want? I don't care. You're creative to do that. Well, that's, that's kind of easy. It's an easy, it's an easy thing to accomplish. I don't have a set goal. I don't have a set outcome. Write a conditional statement that allows them to have options. But when I start saying something more specific that um, if it's this, I want, I want it to output, output exactly that, then that takes it to a different level. And I think we've, we're starting to implement that more in seventh grade because with our code challenges, we would give them these simple challenges, but not having a way for them to test if it's right or if it's um, coming out with what is expected is something I think we're missing. We've always had that where we could develop that. But we haven't that. Yeah. Well, and, and now it's creating this other fantastic problem to have, which is that the students are realizing, well, wait, if there's four tests and it looks for these four outputs, can't I just make it so that if the input is this, then produce that output directly without doing any of the work in between, right? Um, so I've had a number of students that have like, you know, I've outsmarted Mr. Tiber, I'm, I'm writing the code so that it'll pass the tests, but then what I'll do is I'll sneak in some other tests that will be will have more random 
uh, inputs, you know, so here's an input of randomly selected numbers, and I know what the expected out output should be, and it changes every time they they run the code. And we did that with a list of numbers, you know, sum all the even numbers in this list, where we generated a random list of numbers, and in my test, it out calculated the expected result that I could verify and compared that against their answer. Yeah, funny story, because I had the same thing happen. I, I gave them the test of, you know, it was the simple... Uh, function here, hour to seconds, and the test said a two and 4.75. And it was funny. A lot of my kids still, you know, trying to get through functions, they don't want to put those parameters or anything in there. They want to put input. They're not using the function as, as stated as intended. And then even, even better, even better was the beauty where they said hours equals two. <laughs> And they're like, but I got what you got. I'm like, okay, well, hours equals three. But you didn't talk about that. And I'm like, right. but it's to, it was intended to convert any set of hours. Right. So they are pretty cheeky and pretty smart. So it is a good thing to talk about how tests can help them see um, solutions. It goes back to that book that we were reading about, you know, we have the duck, the Green and the oh, yeah, the logical problem solving. Yeah, so we give them the give it, but when we give them the answers or we give them how we, we want the solution, then they can start seeing ways of solving the problems. And I kind of feel that's the way with tests when we give them what the outcome should be, they can start seeing I have to start and finish what needs to go in between, and it makes it makes that thinking process just change a little bit. Right. I, know it, I know it has for me because I, I definitely always now know how to look to the test in my, my pipelines or in uh, my other courses because I'm like, oh, that's what it needs. So how do I get that? And I can work backwards. Right. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that moment, though, of the you need to solve for the general case, mm -hmm. right? We wouldn't have that if it wasn't for having the tests mm -hmm. because they – when they see that, oh, I could solve it for these three different inputs, all I have to do is produce these three outputs. It doesn't actually have to solve it for any other output. We get to have that conversation that says, but that's not really the point, right? That's not, the, the point of this is to write code that works for the whole domain of, of inputs, you know, and come up with this range of outputs that are correct. And how do you know that it's correct? It also helps to um, highlight how crummy some of our class challenges are written and I'm like oh okay you got me at 4.25 yep. I wrote yep. that poorly sorry yep and that's a beauty sometimes I'm up there and I'm like okay class challenge today well what is it I'm like hold on it's coming in my brain uh yeah this one so yeah. it's it's a good thing yeah and I um I think it kind of leads into um into the third area and this is um, something that I, I wanted to talk about was uh, around this idea of how students go from that, that I know a few different patterns to now I can start to generalize, right? I can start to assemble these patterns that I know into larger, um, larger patterns and larger solutions. And I, I think we start to see it in seventh grade. I mean, you can see it in its raw form in sixth grade. But starting in seventh grade and eighth grade, that's where I think it really starts to take off and getting students to go beyond that. I know an answer to this problem. I know one way to do it into, well, here's some interesting ways to solve this, right? 
Um, and that's where also having those really large data sets or the really large inputs or the randomized tests or the things that they can't predict ahead of time really goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I was going to say something, but we, we're short on time. If you want to go to teaching basics, because <laughs> I was going to tell another story, but I can wait till next time. Well, I mean... <laughs> So, so the the last thing that we've been or I've been experimenting with uh, this year is really um, starting to get out of this idea of here's the IDE that you have to use, here's the collab or the mu or whatever into you can write wherever you're comfortable, right? And so now we start to get into what are some of the advantages of different environments to code in, different ways to set up, set it up. What do you personally feel comfortable with? So I've got some students who are very comfortable using mu editor. Right, I have students who are like, no, give me the VS Code and the command line, and and how do we make this work? And what's really interesting about this is now we're starting to get them to turn into, you know, to have preferences for their coding. To have like when they think about, I'm going to write some code, I'm going to go to this spot and I'm going to write it and I'm going to figure it out. And I think this is kind of like the last step in our middle school process of getting them to become comfortable with coding is when they start to express preferences and opinions about why they like to code in the environment that they do, why they're choosing to use this for loop instead of a while loop or instead of writing the code one after another, right? We start to see that there's this, um, they're settling into this comfortable territory of, I can write code and I can use it to solve problems, even though it may not be that it's their first choice or their first method is to write code for it, they're starting, we're starting to see them want to write code and want to have preferences. And, and I think that that's a pretty cool sign that we're starting to see this year with our eighth graders um, yeah. more broadly than in the past. Yeah, in seventh grade, I'm getting it. I have I have some really, I mean, they're, they're out coding me already. I'll, I'll be honest. There's some, there's some kids that are just the way that their brain works. It's, it is so beautiful. So allowing on the same idea of teaching basics but allowing them this agency kind of thing with their own code editor we allow that in seventh grade we do we do use more of the collab environment just because it's easier on us and we can give out our choice words but i have this one student and it's funny we were learning the daytime module and i just wanted him to learn the you know how to use this module read this documentation very simple Going through a couple of apps, I wanted it was teaching functions and how we can make code shorter. And he says, I don't want to use a day, so I'm like, I want to calculate them myself. I'm like, oh, that should be fun. You know, and we were calculating things. If you wanted to calculate um, your sign with your date of birth, with the number of birthdays, the kid, the kid works through it basics. It was going through the basics of code, but the way that he was thinking, and he did do a dictionary, and he looked up the values, and then he added the values, and we subtracted something with something else. And I was like, cool. You don't know the daytime, but I'm sure you can figure out. He's like, I'm writing the next daytime. <laughs> I love that. And he came to me, and he's like, I'm trying to figure out how to get um, the number of weeks it's been so far since your, or how many weeks it is until your next birthday, and then the number of days. I'm like, have you thought about div mod? And he's like, Wait, what's that? <laughs> you know, so I explained to him like you can get the uh, dividend and the remainder when you divide two numbers using this div mod function, and he just like his eyes got big and they lit up, and he's like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> he runs over and he starts starts coding away on it. It was so much fun to see his his, his brain like it just starts ticking. So um, 
him and this other student who I got into PyCharm and is taking one of the courses that I'm taking. And I, I called his the friend up and I was like, listen, I've been stuck on this and I won't ask Mr. Tiber for help, but I just want to see what you do. Um, gave it to him. He comes back with the solution. I was like, well, that one doesn't work, but this is what I did. He's like, oh, I see what you did there. Kind of like that. And I was like, wait, wait for it. Let me show you what this other guy did with a list within a list comprehension with something, something. He goes, what? What? Wait. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it was just like this beautiful thing. So those two kids are pairing together on a project. Um, going back to basics again, allowing this agency, I gave them a choice. Who do you want to pair with? Um, they're going to do the card game. And I said, listen, I have this card game that I've been working on for about three years. It's never been finished. It's got like five different games in there all started and it's got tons of errors. And I'm sure the variables are crap too, because it's been over the past three years. Can we use it? And like, have fun. We're going to use it. They're like, we're going to finish your, your app for you. I'm like, thank gosh. Can you finish my database for me? <laughs> because, you know, I need that. We're going to outsource our coding to uh, all our sixth and seventh graders. All our and seventh graders. Um, well, with uh, about three to four weeks left in the quarter, what, what are your plans? Uh, what are you going to focus on? Uh, for the last three to four weeks. Oh my gosh, we're doing the beautiful hardware, which, you know, um, it's a love-hate thing. So, but we're bringing back soldering finally. We get to get back into soldering. Um, talking about the the beauty of, uh, of soldering and how we can use that to prototype. We might not get into any of the actual products, but we're going to we're going to look at it and we're bringing in microbits back in sixth grade, obviously. And seventh grade, we're using circuit playground. Nice. Nice. And there's the bell actually. Um, but you know, for me, I think the last, the last three to four weeks, I know that our students that are on top of things and really excited about it have like been leaning forward in their seats the whole time are, are moving and I'm going to keep up the momentum. But really my goal now for the last three weeks is to get as many of the rest of the students to have that aha moment where things click and it starts just making sense to them and they're just writing code and making it work. And so I think it's going to be a lot more examples and practice and try these things. And I'm going to bring in ear sketch and we're going to like, we're going to play around with these things and hopefully get kids to have that moment where they lean forward in their seat and go, Oh, I get it. Or it clicks or I can write some code now. Um, I, I have been noticing, and I think this is a little bit of a getting back into the school year as well as me getting back into the teaching realm. I don't have as many students who are just having things start to click. If I ask them to write code on their own, they're still, they're lagging behind what they can read, right? So their level of understanding code when they read it is still way ahead of what they can write on their own and how to compose it. So we're doing some things like I just um, had each student type out the entirety of the bagels game code from Al Swigert's Big Book of Small Python Projects. And I told them, I want you to write everything. I want you to write the comments. I want you to write the indentation. I want you to do every single bit of this code because I want it to match line for line, character for character, and you can't copy and paste it. I said, this is the equivalent of, you know, copying something down to get the practice of the, the feel of it, the way it sits together. And it's like, like riding a bicycle through your neighborhood instead of driving through. Yeah, right. but he, he doesn't tell you that he left then and then made me deal with all their issues. I'm like, indentation, name error. You didn't do that. Go figure it out. Because <laughs> it's not it's not copied, right? Yeah. They didn't copy it correctly. They yeah. had so many errors. And I was like, this is not Miss Freddy's code debug. This is go debug your own. Yeah. But yeah. it was beautiful. You get what you practice, right? You get what right? you practice, absolutely. Write, write more, write more, write more. Right, right. so I have, I'm going to have them just 
writing code this the last few weeks, writing code, whether it's their own code, they're writing other people's code. As long as they don't copy and paste it, I want them to get that muscle memory of I'm writing Python code. I'm writing Python code. The myelin wrapped around the nerve. Exactly, right? Exactly. So that's that's my plan. Um, I know we're running a little bit short on time now because uh, you have a meeting to get to, and I have kids coming soon and, and everything. So, um, like just to wrap up, um, we are we have our guest schedule coming up for the remainder of this month. We have some good guests uh, planned, and and we have some robots coming in, and all kinds of fun stuff for the next few weeks of teaching Python. Uh, we're going to try to get back on our weekly schedule now and the cadence of recording and, and publishing every week because now we've gotten through that initial start of school um, and things are starting to smooth out in terms of our, our pacing and everything. So um, we're going to be skinnier because of that. So just remember, we're not eating lunch because we're recording with you. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's a double benefit, right? Double benefit. Um, so what's here? So if you want to follow up with us, we'd love to hear what you're doing right now, what you're finding with this new school year, things that are working really well, things that maybe need a little bit of help. Um, you can always reach out to us through our website at teachingpython.fm. Uh, we also are on Twitter at teachingpython. I'm at smtiber on Twitter. And Kelly is at Kelly Pared on Twitter, and that's where we kind of live on social media. Um, and I think there's no other real announcements this week. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly signing off.